one, you know, people are so, I mean, passionate. They love the brand. So I think it's, as someone who's passionate, being somewhere where everyone else is passionate and cares and loves it, I think that really did speak to me. I've known him for, since he started at Nike. It's, we just clicked. He's such a good dude. He's just smart, educated, um, in tune with the consumer brand, really energetic. Like he's just one of those good humans where I'm just like, man, he's going to go places, you know, he, he's already going places pretty much. I mean, you know, from Nike to other bigger brands, to consulting, to, you know, starting his own entrepreneurial thing for a while to, you know, now with an amazing partner who he's working for. So I'm just pretty stoked for who he is and what he's been doing. So I'm excited. He's a good dude. Um, but hey, man, I appreciate you um, being able to give us a few minutes of your time. I know you're one of the busiest guys out there right now, really? <laughs> but on a Sunday. So that's a big deal. Um, but you know, we wanted to thank you. And then also to be able to, you know, just, man, we're so excited. We were just talking, Jesse and I were just talking about your credentials, what you've done. Um, but we can't wait to hear it from you. Um, what we usually do is we just ask, um, all our guests kind of like, give us a background, a quick synopsis of, of your background from school, how you decided to get, go into marketing. Um, you know, from there, uh, you know, where you started and then, your, your, of course, your experiences at Nike um, and then where you are. But then let's go back to Nike because that's the biggest topic for us um, because we know that a, a lot of um, the things you did at Nike, obviously I know and Jesse knows because we worked in one another. Um, you did some amazing things and we'll kind of go from there. If that's cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, well, we got Rasheen Taha, you know, an amazing friend, but also um, a, an executive um for rock the bells but you know let's hear we'd love to hear your your story man try to share try to share a little bit of it you know (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you guys for having me uh you know i I feel i feel honored i've seen some of the people you guys have had thus far and just who you guys are so i appreciate you guys even considering me to even you know hop on hop on this and talk with you guys so it's it goes both ways Awesome. Awesome. Where'd you grow up? So, grew up in New York City, primarily. Uh, grew up in New York, was born in Harlem, lived in the Bronx, uh, a little bit in middle school and in high school. Also moved around a little bit. So, I lived in Seattle for two years in seventh and eighth grade. Uh, when I was a, when I was a baby, or like baby, kind of you know, kind of born through five years old. I spent a lot of time in Tennessee as well. So my mom's from Tennessee. So I spent time in Memphis and Humboldt and Huntington, Tennessee. So in the country uh, between, so I was like half New York, half uh, half country in Tennessee from one to five. Then uh, majority of time was in New York though. Nice. What led you to the West Coast for school? How did that all come together? Yeah, I, it was... It was not, I don't know, it kind of wasn't really in the plans. Like I always thought I was going to probably end up going to school back East. So I was kind of looking at a few different options and playing basketball. I was thinking about going to Brown and playing basketball and had some opportunities primarily to be East when it, when it kind of came down to it. And my uncle, he always loved Stanford. He kind of just, he kind of would just like sprinkle it and throw it out there to me. And then I remember being in high school, you know, because I was playing basketball. Uh, I remember Brevin Knight was playing for Stanford and we were watching, I would watch every single college basketball game, basketball game I can get my hands on. And he kind of said to me, he was like, yo, um, look at this guard. He, you know, look at how he's playing. Um, and I was like, all right. And he ended up playing really well. Stanford had a good run. He ended up going to the first round, uh, went first round of the draft, went to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So the first basketball game I ever went to, he took me to a New Jersey Nets versus Cleveland Cavs game. And he's like, yo, you see how we went to Stanford and how he's in the league now? And I was like, huh, yeah, okay. So he was kind of, I think, on some inception a little bit early, kind of throwing it out there to me. And it really came down to like last minute. I remember it was my senior year and I kind of had my college list. It was primarily back East. I was thinking about going to Brown, like really heavily considering there. Uh, I was thinking about Georgetown as well. And not for basketball for Georgetown, but 
Um, I would I would probably have to walk on or whatever it was. But then Stanford, he was kind of like, yo, uh, you know, you should apply to Stanford. And I kind of remember it. And he was like, all right, you know, apply. So I ended up applying and getting in and end up going there. They end up when I got in, they paid for a visit for me to go and visit the campus for free. So I was broke and I was like, yo, y'all gonna fly me to Cali? I bet. So <laughs> I remember Brown. I remember I remember I went on my Brown visit. And Brown's a great school, but I went there and it didn't feel. There was like a feeling that I had. And I was like, ah, I don't know. And then I remember leaving Brown and flying out to flying out to Cali. Landed at SFO. I got in the super shuttle. I remember falling asleep in the super shuttle. I remember waking up at Stanford's campus, like right when you enter Palm Drive. And it was just like this beacon of light. And there was all these palm trees. And I just felt myself taking my North Face off, taking my beanie off. And I was like, yo, what is this place? And ended up going there um, and doing the admin weekend there. And the people that I met were some of my best friends in the world to this day. And I don't know, it just one of the things where it kind of felt right. And since Stanford was paying for it, I always had a path. I was kind of told myself to either get my school paid for through academics or get it paid through through basketball. And since I ended up having some some options and I went there and then loved it, it kind of was just like, yeah, I don't know, it felt right. And I think since I'd already lived on the West Coast in Seattle for two years, I wasn't as intimidated going from New York to the West Coast. And I just loved the campus and loved the people, felt right and decided to go. Awesome. What was uh, the campus life like at Stanford? I mean... I'm sure every campus is different, but like, and it sounded like, yes, amazing, the atmosphere, but what, was there anything specific that you were drawn to within Stanford where you were just like, this is it, this is the place I'm going to focus on uh, academia here? Uh, I don't even know if I would even, you know, calling it focusing on academia. I think that would be giving it, giving me way too much credit. <laughs> Let's just, I, I would say that much. I think the things that stood out, the people really, really stood out. And mind you, I mean, there's amazing people at, you know, all these institutions. And so you don't have to be Stanford to be like a great person or anything like that. But the people there, there was a combination of being really, really smart, but being down to earth and not really flaunting it in your way as, some, as much as some of the East Coast Ivy School, Ivy League schools that I was looking at. So I think that vibe kind of spoke to me. The... And then I don't know, there was just kind of this air of just like freedom. And I think, you know, if you think about Stanford in general, it has been known to breed a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs. It has that reputation. I always joke around and say it feels like the inmates are running the asylum. And and that's kind of how I felt Stanford was. And I think my spirit is one who likes to do what I want to do. And even if it's under a construct, but still have some freedom. And I kind of felt like Stanford really spoke to me in that way. And and on top of it, the campus is just beautiful. Like it's ridiculous. It, it like it's it's just it's just one of the most beautiful places. So I think to kind of go out of New York and the madness of that, and then just kind of be in this very pleasant, uh, plush country club, damn near, uh, for four years, it it felt right at the time. So I was kind of I kind of spoke to him. That's awesome. Um, so in some other interviews we've had, people have been talking about like their journey get to, into marketing and a lot of them talk about the, you know, the sociological aspect of it, right. And just kind of getting to know, you know, the consumer and, and what people are interested in. Did you have that kind of mindset when you were focusing on what you wanted to study at Stanford? No, not at all. Well, one, so no, not at all. One, I majored in sociology which is, I guess it's funny you said the sociological aspect. I didn't understand how that actually would make me a better marketer, but I just kind of liked the, the like getting into the mind and the study of it. And plus I'm, you know, at first I thought I was going to major in econ and then I hopped into an econ class and I was like, I'm not majoring in econ. That's not going <laughs> to <laughs> me. Both, I just, bro. <laughs> yeah, I was, nah, this, you know what, this, this don't feel right. So I'm just going to look at some other options. And I remember taking somebody who was like, yo, I think you might like a sociology class. And I took it and like in the intro and I like really enjoyed it. And that was, I guess, kind of the beginning of studying groups and seeing group behavior in that way and movements and how that affects mindsets. And so I thought that was really interesting. And I did, it wasn't like when I got to college, I was like, I'm going to be a marketing you know, person or I'm going to be this. I thought initially, again, I came from New York and I came from like prep school in New York. I thought I was going to be a banker. 
So I, I ended up, my internships in college were at the New York Stock Exchange. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, like I didn't, you know, I thought that, you know, that was not my, I didn't think that I was going to go be a marketer in that way. It wasn't even in my thing. I knew I loved entertainment and I knew I wanted to play in culture. And I wasn't, in 2000 to 2004, we weren't using the word culture to describe what we describe it as now. Uh, but I knew I enjoyed entertainment. I knew I enjoyed sports. I knew I enjoyed cool shit. So I knew, that's kind of where my orientation was. So I knew when I, after the stock exchange internships, like, nah, this really isn't for me. Um, so there was things I did in school. Like I was our head of our Stanford, uh, Stanford concert network and I was booking acts and them coming to school. And that was kind of a way to be able to kind of get into the music industry in some ways, you know, I was throwing parties and mad social. So I was throwing a bunch of parties and stuff like that. So these were the things that I think when I look back that I was just kind of doing in general. And how I think that helped me be a better marketer, be a better business person, be a better, you know, strategy, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't, I wasn't as intentional to say, hey, I'm going to go and go to Stanford and then major in sociology or Stanford didn't even have business or marketing majors in, in the undergrad. So major in this to then get to this point. It wasn't that linear for me. Got it. That's awesome. Like, and so with, you know, promoting like parties and stuff and that you loved, enjoyed the community and the, and the hip hop scene and so forth. Did that, I mean, was that automatically a decision after Stanford? I, I would say that you made a decision to say, okay, I'm going to work in entertainment, like especially with, you know, Interscope, let's say. Like I know you were with Interscope. Um, yeah. And, and how did that come about? So the, inter you know, I knew that I wanted to work in, it was interesting because so I had an opportunity to go back to New York actually and go work at MTV. Uh, this is when TRL was going crazy and like they had this like program and they took like five people, or, like, 10 people in the country, right? And you can do this kind of like accelerated track through Viacom. And I really thought, you know, I remember applying to that because I wanted to work in entertainment, but they were paying nothing, like nothing, nothing. So I was like, I can't go back. Like after having this freedom for four years, I can't go back to the crib. Like I love my family, but I just, I need to be able to, to rock. And Y'all ain't paying me enough to be able to have my spot in New York. Like, nah. So my first job actually ended up being in, in kind of retail slash fashion. Um, I ended up, my first job out, I ended up working for Robinson's May. And I only ended up working there for six years. And I it was a part of their like a, their, their buyer program. So I came in as an assistant buyer uh, because I liked fashion. I thought it was like cool. I was like, all right. And they put me in, you know, men's collection. So I got to do nautica and polo and calvin klein and tommy hilfiger and whatever the other brands were um but that was working and they ended up getting bought by macy's uh kind of like like maybe by my fifth or sixth month so again essentially you were working for macy's as a buyer and i thought that would have been cool because i'd be in fashion but realized when i got there i was like this isn't what that is like i'm not this close to the product um the culture wasn't one that i really really liked so my first job out, like it, it actually was not Interscope. It was that. And this was like sick leaving leaving school. Like I graduated in end of June. I started beginning of July. I wanted to quit in the first 15 minutes. Like I knew it was not right. I was oh, like, this man. is not right. Yeah, it was crazy. Like I knew 15 minutes in. I got there at 7.30. At 7.45, I wanted to quit. And I was like, this ain't right. Um, and mind you, I wasn't going to quit. Like on my first day, I didn't have any backup. And you just you just like go through this whole process and finish school and get a degree. And now you want to quit your first job in 15 minutes. It was like, whoa. Um, so I was working the job for a while, but I knew I wanted to get into the entertainment space. And because I threw parties in college, I was like, you know, when I graduated, like I was like, I, I, I would, I wanted to kind of keep throwing events. So I ended up getting connected to somebody who was a big event promoter in Los Angeles in the, in like the, in the, in the urban scene, like the upscale, like urban scene in LA, end up starting up, end up starting working under him. So I was working the job there. And then I was working doing the nightclub stuff kind of at nighttime, like doing two jobs. But my logic was if I meet, do the nightclub stuff, I can meet people in every industry. The one thing about a party is it doesn't matter from what walk of life you come from 10 to two, you're going to walk into these doors. And if you come through at that time, you're in my domain so I can then build with you. And I was trying to strategically meet people in the music industry because I knew artists hosted events, labels hosted events, the DJ. So I was like, if I can get into that scene, I can start meeting people. And that's exactly how it kind of happened. I was doing the events at night, end up meeting some people over at Interscope, kind of let them know what I wanted to do and end up getting a job um, at Interscope. Um, in their urban promotions division, leaving Robinson's May. And then that's kind of where I ended up starting 
in my in culture in that way and it became the biggest lesson was like don't do shit that you hate like some people have a higher tolerance for it i don't um i was depressed and miserable with that first job out of school um it just wasn't for me so i learned early i was like i can't i'm not one of the people who can just do whatever job um because i'll be miserable so it's kind of how i end up getting into interscope and starting starting in that no i love that i love the hustle the grind the story in itself because i think what a lot of people i think today i mean and you you've probably seen it is that they just kind of when they're doing a job they just do the job and it's not about for them it was just like something to do but for you you knew right away it's like this isn't where i want to go this is what not what i want to do so i got to figure it out um and i love that and so with that kind of experience um with interscope and moved forward beyond Interscope, starting your own thing, and then going back to school, um, looking at back of your background, how did Nike come about? What, where did that program come into? Um, because I know you, we, we met obviously during, during the Nike eras, but I, I just, mm-hmm. um, I think it would be great to hear from your perspective, how it started and what came, like, and how did you get your feet into the door? Because I think a lot of people are trying to figure that out from the outside um, perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, I like, we like all, you know, love Nike as a brand. Like to me, it's just the dopest brand on earth. The only thing that will make me move to Portland, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Straight yeah, up. You're right. <laughs> it is what it is, man. Like, you know, I'm, and you know, nobody shouts to everybody there. If while I was there during my time, nobody would be surprised hearing me say this. I'm a big city kid, you know, I'm from New York. I lived in LA, like it is what it is. Um, that's the type of stuff that I enjoy. And so Nike wasn't, it was like Nike was, is weird. I never actually saw myself at Nike. I never saw, like it never, especially running my own thing. Like I just, like I knew it existed and I was like, oh, I guess people work there. And yes, I have a shoe closet with 200 pairs of shoes and I love the brand and I love the commercials and I love everything that it does. And it speaks to my soul in many different ways, but I actually never envisioned myself there. So I think the first thing is that that's an exposure thing. It wasn't like, like, you know, the first person I met at, at Nike actually was my boy, Gian. And Gian was there. Um, this is when I was doing the events. So I met him, he was in the LA office and that's, and he was like first people I met there. And I remember meeting him and I remember being like, um, I forgot, I forgot the dude's name, but I remember meeting Gian and so that's when it became tangible. It was like, oh, people like work at Nike and not at the store, which is also very, very important. But wait, they work for the brand and they do things. So I, again, I never put myself in that scenario. And even when I was in college thinking about where would I work, it never even crossed my mind to be like, well, well, get a job at Nike. Like it just actually, even though I had a closet full of everything, it just never crossed my mind. So it, when I met Gian, I remember, and I was doing all my event stuff and running my company, I was like, oh, like people work in Nike. It's like, all right, cool. And that was, you know, that was, that was great. I wasn't thinking about seeing myself there. Um, I remember every, you know, a lot of people who know me, they were like, yo, like, you know, if you worked at Nike, that would be a dream job for you. Or like, you know, you should, you know, you should, you should work at Nike. You should be doing marketing. You should be doing stuff like that. And I just never really saw myself. And it wasn't until I did a pre-MBA program. So when I decided to go to business school and I was in this program called MLT, Management Leadership for Tomorrow, one of the conferences were actually at Nike. So this was in 2000, was it 11 or 12? This is 2012. It was in 2012 in like April of 2012. So I had already gotten into business school and I knew I was going to go to Northwestern for B school. And there was a fine, like one of the final programs were at Nike. So I actually was at the campus and it wasn't until I was at the campus and I was just kind of walking around and anybody who's walked on that campus, if you are a sports fan, you're just like, yo, this is crazy. Like, this is like a living museum everywhere you look, everything's super curated. You see the Charles Barkley, like, you know, the statue, or not the, whatever, you know, when we're walking through like the different buildings and you see the, the little face things yeah, that they yeah. have everywhere. Oh yeah. Right whatever i don't the walk of fame or whatever yeah the walk of fame and the bus you're seeing the huge buildings the jordan building so you're a sports person i was like yo this is crazy and i remember you know know, they had all the people in the program and management leadership for tomorrow they get like basically like 150 to 200 of the top like diverse candidates who are applying to business school like each year and they kind of put you through this program prior to business school right so you have all these people in there like the majority of people like you know 
they're they're trying to do banking and they're trying to do now they're trying to all do tech probably but the consulting uh, marketing but they're thinking more like traditional like cpg and i remember so we're all sitting there and mind you i have my studies and everything like that so people kind of just know me and mad people are like yo like you should you should be here you should be here and i didn't even know i was like huh they're like yo, you should work you, you, like you could work at nike i was like huh and i remember my coach came up to me she was like i actually think you know, I know you're thinking about different things or I know, you know, thinking about stuff on your own, but like, if you have to get a job while you're in business school, you do an internship. She was like, it seems like you would kill it here. This would be a good place for you. And I was like, hmm, interesting. So I remember that just kind of being in my head. And so it took me actually being on the campus, walking around and having a bunch of other people be like, hey, you could be here to even like kind of throw it in my, in my, and you know, throw it out there to me. So when I got to business school and we had to start the recruiting process, I remembered that experience. And I also was very clear. I remember that experience from working my first job at Robinson's Bay, talking about don't do shit that you hate. So I knew I was like, I'm not interested in consulting. I'm not interested in banking. I'm not interested in some of the general management stuff. I'm like, if I'm going to do this and I'm going to have to go get from running my own company to getting a job, it better be something that I better be interested in. Like, so I ended up really kind of targeting. Uh, and I was like, I had there, I went there. I was like, Nike's dope. I kind of see a path to potentially get in they're doing all the MBA internship recruiting. And that is kind of how I ended up getting into Nike, getting the internship at Nike, getting, do, you know, doing the two, three months there for the internship, getting in and then getting into their marketing development program uh, as a full, you know, as a, as a full-time hire. So it took me going to business school and getting exposure to being on campus to actually see myself being there and, and kind of seeing a path and then deciding, all right, kind of go for it. And I think, I, I, I don't know, like I'm, I don't know everybody's story. I know some people are like, hey, that's, they see that as their target. Uh, it, just, it, never, it never was for me, but when it came up as an opportunity, I was like, I think I, I would be really competitive for it and then went for it. So let's talk about it. So as you're in Nike, you did the internship program to the MVP program, got in full time. What was it about Nike, specifically within the culture, that you appreciated and like you could see yourself like, okay, I can continue doing this, like you said, a little bit more um, that motivated you to continue moving forward with the brand? Yeah. One, you know, people are so, I mean, passionate. They love the brand. So I think it's as someone who's passionate, being somewhere where everyone else is passionate and cares and loves it. I think that really did speak to me. And I thought that people were like, there were like just a lot of really sharp, really dope people. Um, I thought that was, and you know, there, there's, you get the range of every company, but I, I thought like, when I look at some of like the superstars, when I look at people who are, I'm like, oh, you're ill. Like, like you are, you're really, really ill. And like, you just so happen to be here, but no matter what happens in your life, like you're going to be dope. And I ran into those type of people and I was able to kind of build those bonds. And that was, that was really, really encouraging to me. And then I would say the other thing specifically about the Nike culture is the relentless attention to detail and the presentation that people do internally for themselves. And you end up seeing how it ends up showing out to the consumer at the end. But it's like, man, if you're going through this many revs just to make a deck look good, to talk to each other internally, if you're putting on huge summits and events just to talk to each other internally and taking the teams into the world that you're creating, you see how that translates out with the consumer. And so I kind of thought, I was like, man, like it's all the little things, the attention to detail. Like if you walk on Nike's campus, it's always curated. It's all, I mean, it's always like manicured. It's never looking fucked up. Like it's always the stuff is cut. Like the pictures look right. You go into the gym, the towels are right. Like it's like they are thinking about so many different things about the full experience. And I think that as a as a marketer going into that in type of environment, it makes everybody's eyes so much better. You're able to look at a deck. You're able to look at a campaign. You're able to look at a piece of communication, and because you're constantly critiquing it so much internally, just to get it to a point to even share it. Um, and constantly iterating in that way, 
um, it really shows up. It really kind of helps you just kind of build that muscle so that even if you're there or you leave and do whatever you're going to do, you always remember what that highest level of it looks like. Um, and you're able to point out quickly either that is what it that feels like it's in that zone or that's not. And then you can kind of push forward on it. That's awesome. Tested internally before it hits the consumer and you know i think that from being inside the company and just being a part of all that preparation and work and tracking and all that stuff like probably like the first time i've heard it worded in that way it really does make it seem like really relevant and necessary because sometimes when you're just in it you just take that for granted because you're just like god why are we keep doing this thing over and over and over and just speak to ourselves you know but I think that you're- it, I mean, it's excessive. There's times where it is excessive. Like, like <laughs> the other side of it is like, for sure, sometimes it's, it's excessive. But you know, it, 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 it plays out into everything else. Like, and you can see that they, other brands don't do it, and you can see how it shows up in their stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think you, you said it perfectly. It's like. I don't think people know or understand when you're in Nike in the matrix, it's like everybody's so detailed and everybody is showcasing the highest level of presentations to, you know, articulating and pre presenting within internally that really shows the external points of why, you know, we're, when I say we, we were considered at Nike and still today that, you know, we're a top brand that tells the best stories and there is a purpose and reason why. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, let's, Oh, go ahead, Jesse. Go ahead, Jesse. In addition to that, like what other experiences, whether they were just like, you know, examples of leadership qualities or you know just the way that you were seeing other people sort of carry themselves within the company like what kind of learnings did you take from your experiences at nike to other uh roles down in within your career few things i think the presentation for sure how you show up and from how you how you think about the story that you're going to tell to how you tell that story and connect them emotionally, how you set the room. Like there's all these little things that definitely have applied, uh, moving forward, you know, in my career. I think the one thing is the over storytelling, you know, Nike, Again, Nike is the greatest storytelling company, in my opinion, <clears throat> because it constantly is telling stories. Like, it, like I'm, I'm saying the same thing, but like, there's stories that you think they're not telling. They're finding a way to tell stories about socks and colorways and the impact of colorways having through the stock to, to a sock. Like, I'm dumbing it down, but that level of storytelling consistently, I think, is one that I've picked up and have applied moving forward, um, and. In the different things and i know when we're doing you know when have things that have gone out we've done the storytelling right it's great and i know where we've half-assed it and been like oh, we probably should have thought more about the storytelling that i'm like yeah i learned that back at nike like i probably should have like spent more time um crafting that crafting that narrative and really pushing the story um i would say the um another i think another thing too is for just from a leadership perspective is Nike is so much decisions get made through consensus. So allowing that process to take place. And sometimes you want to move fast and be able to get to a yes, but you sometimes can get enough inputs into the thing. And if you would have got more inputs, you might've had to iterate a little bit more, but you get to a better outcome. So I think Nike kind of taught me in that way, like you might have the gut instinct, but you still need to go through that process. And so with myself, with my teams, teams I've been on leading, teams I've been on a part of, it's being part of, it's making sure that you're allowing that extra input, no matter how, how painful it may be at times, to still get to a better out, outcome. And now, you know, I really do encourage that. And I really do now, you know, the lessons I learned there to consistently iterate and like add in more and understand it's going to be the process. Um, you know, I'm not that patient. So it, that, but that experience has helped me become more patient 
and understand the importance, and maybe it's not even more patient, but it helps me understand the importance of going through that iterative process and allowing all the different inputs to be put in to get to a better outcome. So that's there's probably like a few leadership things that I've picked up. Um, along yeah, the way. as as you've picked those up, was there like could you say there there was like one leader within the brand that you were just like, okay, that's that's I can, that's the person I can go to and speak my feelings. Number one, but number two. Um, I see qualities that I need to emulate, like you said, that you, you're doing now with what you're currently doing and what you're learning. Um, was that that was there just that one person that kind of took you under their wing and been like, "Hey, Rasheen, this is this is it. I'm going to take you with me, and we're going to follow through. And if you have any questions, my door is always open." I had a few. I mean, I had a, I had a few. Um, I think I was lucky to build some good relationships in that way. Uh, Jason Maiden, no surprise. Um, but he was, man, from even me, even before I even got the job, I got connected to him and, and took me under in that way, you know, JD, Julian Duncan really, really was awesome for me, uh, believed in me a lot, helped push me and help get me to move and shake in different ways. Um. Trez, Trez was a huge, yeah. Sean Trez was a huge advocate, for, huge, huge advocate for me. Um, taught me the game, taught me the game. Um, Reggie Saunders. Oh, yeah, Reggie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Reggie, me, you know, Reggie, Reggie, was, Reggie's my guy. And um, so, yeah, like when I was doing BHM, he was a huge advocate for me. We ended up doing an amazing activation taking MC, like partnering, you know, I was leading BHM. We took MC Light down to Brazil in Rio, activated in Rio for the first time ever uh, during Black History Month and truly made it global um, in that way, in a favelas, in like the North Zone. It was just really, really dope. But again, had to have that advocacy, um, f- uh, you know, from him, Larry Miller co-signed on that as well. So he was, he was awesome too. Um, so yeah, I think I was fortunate to have you know, some people who were really, really smart and, you know, looked, you know, looked out for me um, while, while I was there. That's awesome. And kind of leading towards that, it's like all the years that you were at Nike with mentoring, as well as getting mentorship, doing amazing activations, um, continue to learn. When was it that time when you're like, okay, now's my time to, the journey at Nike is great, but there's something bigger and better mm-hmm. out there. Um, what, 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 with that decision, when did that come and, and how did you motivate yourself as like, now's the time to take the leap and go for it? Yeah. Um, I think it was my second year of my MDP, my marketing development program. So I did the Olympics for the whole two years and I knew that, that I was going to be starting something new post Olympics. So whatever new role that was going to be, cause that's when the program was going to end. And at that point, you know, I think, you know, people, I probably had a short, and again, I was at Nike for two years plus an internship. I think people, you know, stay a lot longer. People also don't really leave the marketing development program as much. Um, but I recognized that there was a lot of lessons that I learned and Nike was going to be, Nike's an amazing place. And for me, that I would always be able to draw on those learnings and have those relationships. But I did know that, like, I wanted to get back into building like really, really building. And like Nike was, in my opinion, like not that Nike's not continuing to build. I mean, it's, it's a behemoth, but it's different when you are, when it's, you are, you are kind of incrementally adding versus being able to go to an organization that is newer um, and more nascent and can have a huge, huge impact and taking the lessons that I learned from a Nike and from everything that I helped, that other lessons that I had previously into that, into that. So when, you know, I end up going, uh, leaving, leaving Nike and going back, uh, moved back to LA and went to Anomaly. Uh, they had just opened their LA office. And, you know, I think I was probably like number 18 or number 19 in that office. And they just got Beats by Dre as a client, as their main client. And a few weeks, you know, like a month or two later, we won PlayStation. And, you know, being able to come in there as a leader in that organization and kind of just be able to kind of help grow that office and anomaly just one ad agency of the year. So it was this combination of like, they were doing well, doing really, really well. And they had this new toy 
in LA. And because I had the experiences at Nike, um, you know, I kind of felt like, you know, I could either go client side or I can go agency side. It kind of gave me some flexibility that you might not think about, especially somebody coming, getting an MBA uh, from, you know, like from Kellogg, like most of my, most of my friends and classmates, whatever they, they, they tend to go more on the client side. Not a lot of them say, Hey, like, you know, two years out, I was at general mills. I may go agency side. Um, but I kind of felt that, you know, given my background, I had the flexibility to play in both worlds, uh, depending on what I wanted to do. So when that opportunity came about, uh, you know, I kind of jumped on it and that was, it was a kind of the combination of, I knew I was going to be transitioning to a new role. Um, the role we hadn't defined what the role was at Nike yet. And, um, and I knew that I also wanted to, you know, I knew that I wanted to at that point also like be not be in Portland. So I also knew that and being real, like, I, you know, Nike's amazing, but I had a feeling I was like, like all roads eventually lead back up to Portland. Right. And I knew that at that point, I wanted to kind of get back to LA or be back in New York. Um, so when that combination kind of came about uh, with anomaly, plus knowing the job was going to end and I was going to be rotating to something different. Um, I, you know, I kind of was like, you know what, if there was going to be a time to do it, this feels like, a good time to do it. And again, the doors could always be open. I could always go back. I know they have offices in LA and New York. Um, if I decide, hey, I want to be important, cool. But I felt like at that point, it was, if yeah, I don't know, it just felt right. And some sometimes I, you know, for better or worse, uh, you know, I go with my feelings. And when it feels right, it feels right. And I think it felt right at that time. And looking back, I think it was, you know, the right decision for me. Cool. Anomaly kind of lead into um, Three Black Dot. Mm -hmm. How did that come together? How did they get on your radar? Yeah, so, you know, I knew the CEO uh, prior. So had a relationship with him and friendship with him, um, you know, prior to even it being, you know, him, you know, having Three Black Dot and, and you know, starting that company. So there was our, an existing relationship. And when I was at PlayStation, I'm sorry, when I was at Anomaly, we had one PlayStation business. So I was leading one of the play, leading the PlayStation account. And we actually needed a company that kind of had gaming influencers. And Three Black Dot had some of the biggest gaming influencers in the world. And it also just got bought out by a French media company called Webedia. And so they were in this kind of combination of like really kind of ramping up and a lot more resources coming in. So I actually reached out to um, to, to three black dots and bring them on to the, to the campaign that I was running for PlayStation. And then they actually reached out to me to said, Hey, we need a head of marketing. You know, we're at 15 people. We're going to go to 75 and we have, we have a lot of ambitions to kind of, you know, do gaming, but get even outside of gaming into broader entertainment. Uh, we want to build IP. We want to monetize, you know, we're going to continue branded content with the, with our influencers in the gaming space, but we also, you know, we're doing merchandise, you know what I'm saying? We're doing live events, we're building IP and we need somebody to come in, uh, kind of with the range of your experiences, kind of, you know, help us build this thing and, you know, be our head of marketing. So that combination that I went, and I wasn't really thinking about it. I was super happy. And I, again, I love, 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 love Anomaly, especially the LA office. Like Isaiah, Isaiah and G are like my, like, love them to death. Um, they're the two who lead, lead that office. Um, so it was like not, it was kind of a hard decision to even leave in that way because I was actually very, very happy and content and saw myself, like I saw all the opportunity that I had in front of me at, an, at, at Anomaly. But when it was this opportunity to kind of come and build again and lead and really be kind of in back in true like entrepreneurial mode, but with a bag, uh, to be able to like make some moves that that combination to me was like really, really cool. And like gaming isn't like I gamed growing up, like playing, you know, GoldenEye and Grand Theft Auto and NBA Live, NBA 2K, whatever. But I was like a huge, huge gamer. But I did also understand that like gaming is going crazy and the influencer space in gaming is something that was really, really interesting. So that combination to me was like, all right, you know, I think that could be something I could really kind of jump at and go after. So that's kind of what made me end up deciding to, you know, leave Anomaly and go to Three Black Dot and be head of marketing over there. That is amazing. And then obviously from there to, to where you are today, um, I want to go back a little bit in, in regards to people who hear your journey and, you know, are excited to go out of college and maybe they're in your position like trying to figure things out in an early stage. What kind of advice would you give these kids today 
who you know might see themselves either going in a smaller agency or a bigger agency to even trying to get into brands like Nike or, or Apple or Sony, um, you know, what kind of advice could you give them? Because I think today's consumer, today's generation, I think um, they're looking for that kind of like mentorship, even if they don't know you personally, they just need to hear it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I think there's a few things that if I look back, there's a few things that I did and I would recommend for anyone to do. One was I was really, really, really driven and determined to get to the places that I wanted to get to. And so one was actually knowing where do I want to go. From knowing from where I want to go, then, then it was about building relationships. And building like real relationships, like authentic relationships, not this like super transactional, whatever. And that doesn't mean that I didn't lead with the stuff that I wanted to do, but I also see the people as human. So I was building real relationships uh, with these people, even if the, like the, the, the beginning of the relationship so happened to be business and something that I was kind of interested in. So I think the second part is relationships. And I think with that is like going and, and it's like spreading a wide net and being comfortable being told no. And there's a bunch of people who either told me no, something wouldn't happen. Um, you know, I'm gonna talk to you, whatever, flake, do all that. I'm like, all right, bet. But then I would still continue to like broaden that out and start to like build other relationships and reach out and ask for help. And that was the other thing too, like building a relationship was like, these are people I didn't know. I didn't have LinkedIn. It wasn't easy as, as it is today. Um, that doesn't mean so hard, but like it was, it's, it wasn't as curated in that way to be able to see all the information. So it was like, yo, who do you know? Who do you know? Who do you know? Let me talk to somebody cool, build with that person. Do you mind connecting me with another person? And then you start doing that enough time, you start building out a repository of people who, you know, if you're handling yourself in the right way, will start rocking with you. So I think that was really important. And then I think another thing was in these organizations, you know, there might've been a thing that I was being asked to do, but if there was something that I wanted to do, asking to do something like that and doing the extra work. So if it was at Nike and I was like, yo, but I really want to be leading Black History Month campaign, even though I'm over here working on the Olympics and that's extra work, not being afraid to ask, raise my hand and then do the work. If it was, I hate my first job out of college, but I know I want to get into events, then I'm working the job in the daytime. I'm connecting with people that I don't know, um, and then starting to build and do the stuff, you know, at night, um, that kind of combination to consistently, you know, do the extra work, uh, to start positioning myself so that when the opportunity to get on the phone or meet somebody that they see that there's a body of work, um, in that space. Um, I think that's really kind of, you know, helped me. And I would, I would really tell people to, you know, do that extra work so that when you do connect it to somebody you want to talk to, even if it's not a huge brand or whatever it is, it could be your own project, but they see the initiative and they see you grinding. Um, I think that goes a long way versus just having lip service and just saying, I want to do something, but there's somebody else who's actually doing it. And again, you don't have to have it at that brand or at that scale, but there's enough things now in tools to where if you want to build a project or you want to work on, you know, marketing a thing, you can, you can create your own deck. You can, you can come up with, you can make, get some video, get some photos, create a, a dummy Instagram account and show what it would look like if you were to do it the right way, um, if you had those resources. So there's things that you can do to show that. And I think that that combination of raising your hand, that combination of knowing where you're going, that combination of putting in the extra work is what I tell people to do. And I think when you do that, I think you just become more, um, people see that you're real, people see that you're focused, people see you're willing to like go get it. And then, you know, you're not just talking about what you want to do. You're actually doing it. No, I love that. I love that. Is it okay to ask what you're up to now? What you're up to right Yeah. Yeah. So um, fortunately now, you know, I'm over at Rock the Bell. So um, I'm a GM of, of content experiences at Rock the Bell. Super excited to be over there. I started in late July, early August and working with LL Cool J. Um, you know, I'm building the primitive voice for classic and timeless hip hop, you know, and looking at it through a modern lens, um, you know, and that is, that's kind of what I'm up to now. And just honestly, just got the pleasure, not, you know, honor and the pleasure to be able to work with LL Cool J, you know, his name is Todd Smith, so I refer to him as Todd all the time. Um, but yeah, you know, he's, he's building something amazing and have a really, really 
dope squad and there's an opportunity to like uplift and preserve the culture of hip hop while connecting to like the modern you know, the modern audience as well. A lot of this has been done in the space of rock. It hasn't been done in hip hop. So I think there's a huge opportunity uh, to kind of build on, you know, the foundation of what's kind of, you know, what he's already built with the radio station. And now we have a platform where we have content commerce experiences, you know, for that classic and timeless hip hop audience. Um, so that is kind of what I'm up to. And it's, it's, it's um, super excited. It is super humble, super exciting. A lot, a lot of hard work. Uh, but I'm I'm really, 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 really enjoying it. I remember I was talking to a friend a while back and, you know, because I knew I wanted to work in entertainment. I knew I wanted to do this. She said, and she said, if you were 18 and 19 and you were looking at yourself right now um, and what, you know, what I'm doing over at Rock the Bells, is that what you thought you would have been doing? And I was like, huh, yeah, like probably, like this is exactly kind of what I thought I would be doing. Um, so in many ways it is, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't use the term dream job or things like that in general. I think I've been blessed to be able to work and do some really cool stuff. Um, but this is definitely feels like a lot of my life experience has kind of led me to being able to be in this position to help, you know, build and grow this company. Um, so really, I think really that's a perfect segue to this question is if, because we ask it to every guest is if you could give yourself um, your younger self, some advice towards, towards what you were doing something differently or, or, or keep, keep doing what you're doing. What would that be? Mm, golly. All right. One for every pair of sneakers you buy, invest in stock. <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. One for one. I'm dead ass. One for one. For every for every shoe you cop, cop the equivalent and stock the next time. You could have even done it just in Nike. If you if you got 200 pairs of Nike and you just had a hundred pairs and you bought a hundred pairs of stock along the journey, you'd be yeah. doing all right. <laughs> uh, straight up. So I think right now, you know, right now, recently, uh, you know, I've really been I've been I've been having a lot a few moments of like kicking myself for like financial things and saying like dang like a dollar here what would if you spent the dollar here versus spending a dollar there what would you do um, and so that to me is actually kind of that's that's one of the things um, I would tell myself I think the the other is. Um, The other I would tell myself is, is, you know, all of these things are vehicles. So, and, and I'll get into it. Like when I, you know, I was an entrepreneur and, you know, I really, really, it was really awesome to be able to, you know, have my own company or run it for six years, be able to business partner. It's all like prior to going to business school. So after leaving Interscope, right. And running KOT marketing group. And I really took a lot of pride in the term entrepreneur. And then when I got a job at Nike, like I actually, it was really hard for me. It was hard to like go from like being an entrepreneur to being employee. And not because of the work, because mentally what that meant. And in my head, I actually, I actually thought it was like, I was a failure. It's, I know this is crazy, but like, this is how I process the shit. And I ended up realizing later, it was like entrepreneur, employee, partner, this, like at the end of the day, these are just like terms that you can either put a lot of weight on or not. If you put a lot of weight on it, it could probably not lead you. It can, it can lead to a lot more. It could lead to like a lot of value or could lead a lot to disappointment. Should these terms be defining who I am? Probably not entrepreneur or employee. What it really is about is that these are all vehicles and these are vehicles to be able to like do things on a day-to-day -day basis that you love do things that on a day-to-day -day basis that like can provide for you and your family do things for day-to-day -day basis that you can feel proud of so whether you lease the vehicle or own the vehicle you're in the vehicle and that doesn't mean that there's not great there's not great things about being an entrepreneur and there's not great things about being an employee like both have their have you know their both have their pros and cons but again, I, I now view both as a vehicle so don't get so caught up and so I say all that to then say, to my younger self, don't get so caught up in, you know, 
the title of entrepreneur versus employee, they're just vehicles. And so get in a vehicle that's going to get you from A to B um, on your journey. And then you might get into a different vehicle and it's okay. Like uh, certain vehicles are meant to go fast. So, you know, if you are, you know, there's two doors that are meant to go really, 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 really fast. And I know that there's like all this Tesla stuff now and cyber trucks and shit that like, and Hummers <laughs> going zero to 60 in like three seconds. So I'm not talking about the EV world, um, <laughs> but in general, there are certain vehicles that are better for certain things. So at different times, you're going to need different vehicles. Sometimes you need to get on a plane. Sometimes you need to get on a boat. Um, if I looked at it the same way um, as, you know, telling my younger self that, you know, an you know, an entrepreneur that might have been a boat for a while. You know, then you know, being an employee that might have been a plane. But to get to A to B, certain times you need different vehicles. So, uh, don't get so caught up in that. Just recognize them as vehicles. Now, that that and the investing are probably the two things I tell my. No, that's self. awesome. Uh, that's amazing in the regards of the context you just explained. Um, but. Yeah, man. Look, first and foremost, again, we're super appreciative. This was such a valuable time for us to be able to speak with you. Um, and and man, like we can't wait to see bigger and better things, not just for you, but what you're doing right now with uh, Rock the Bells, obviously with Todd and his company. Um, but we can't wait, man. We're super appreciative. No, thank you. I, listen, I'm, I'm very... You know, and I don't say this in the LinkedIn. I'm so excited and humbled to be here. Like, <laughs> like I mean this. I actually mean this. Like I'm, I'm you know, I, I really do appreciate talking with you guys and just being able to share the little perspective that I do have and, and hope that it connects with whoever listens to this, um, whatever little bit you take away from it. So, you know, thank you guys. And thank you guys for even, you know, creating this platform and connecting with people to get these stories out i do think it's really really important to get the range of perspectives because again it's when you start to hear you start to see some similarities but you do start to see different ways in which people move and i think that it's important that people hear that a lot of this is behind the veil sometimes you got to open the kimono up and see what different tools people got so you know i i really appreciate that you guys are building this platform uh for that no, thank you man really appreciate it Huge fan of Rock the Bells. I listen to it in my car constantly. And uh, and Shantae, uh, Have a Nice Day show is my absolute like favorite thing in the world right now. She's getting me three So it's so awesome that you get to be a part of that day in, day out. So congratulations, man. Um, John and I were talking about how great it was to be, you know, working with you at Nike. And, but we, we both knew that you were destined for bigger and better things um, right out of the gates. And so... Um, congratulations on everything that you've um, been able to accomplish so far in your career. And like Don said, we're looking to see what's next, man. We're stoked. Thank you. Really, really appreciate it. I'm super, um, I'm, 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 I'm bowing to you guys. It's, I know y'all don't have to say that. So I appreciate that. Much love. All right, Rasheen. Appreciate it, my friend. Appreciate okay. it. All right. Later.